Good morning, Genesis House. Uh, let's stand and read the Word of God. Uh, Jan, John, not Jan. <laughs> John 14, uh, 27, and we'll read through to 31. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he is nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do ex exactly as the Father commanded to me. Get up and let us go from here. Lord, we thank you for your word. And uh, I just uh, was going through in my head all the songs and the words that Jaden was leading us in this morning. Lord, all the words to that... Uh, that she, was, she had chosen for the service were perfect for today's message. We're grateful for your spirit and how he uh, coordinated all that. And um, we're grateful, Lord, that we can now spend time in your word. And I pray that uh, because it's going to be fairly heavy today, Lord, in, in scripture references and uh, bouncing back and forth, that we're able to focus on what you have to say to us and that whatever passages speak loudly to us, that you would help us return them in our hearts. Um, certain passages will resound more with people than others, and uh, but all of your words profitable for teaching, and we're looking forward to our time together. So uh, just help me uh, through this time and guide me into truth. In Christ's name, Amen. Mm -hmm. I had a cool coffee this week. <coughs> I was. Uh, I'm fortunate to have a friend of mine who's I've known since about uh, year 2000, and he's moved to BC, but once in a while he comes back to town, and uh, we had a coffee, and I didn't know this, and he didn't know this about me, but I converted to Christianity uh, uh, since I really saw him last, and he converted, converted to Buddhism. So we had quite the interesting coffee, because both of us believed in nothing before we, uh, you know, back in 2000. So. But John, my friend John, made a really good comment, and I thought, well, it's perfect for today's service. He, he's a, he acts as a, a guide in the mountains, and he takes a lot of high school kids and different uh, college kids, I think, up into the mountains, and he acts as a, a guide, and he helps them with survival skills and whatnot in the mountains. I think he works at Silver Star. But he told me this in the beginning of our conversation. He says, I always tell all the kids that I take in the mountains, I don't care what your belief system is. Whatever it is, whatever you believe in, though, has to be able to handle any consequences and hardships we face here today. And I thought, thank you, Lord, for that open door. I'm in. <laughs> and so we had a great conversation about what his belief system is and how it helps him survive or handle circumstances. And a great timing on that coffee. Uh, I'm really grateful for that coffee because uh, today's topic is about the peace of Jesus and the peace that he was going to leave to the disciples. And remember, the timing of this peace being offered was, was very appropriate and very interesting. Um, we've seen this through the book of John, but he's repeated to the disciples on more than one occasion he's going to die, and he's going to leave them. And it's not a coincidence in verse 27 that he says, Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful, because you've heard it said that I say to you, I go away and I will come to you. So again, he's, he says, I recognize the situation right now is rough, uh, you're expecting me to leave you, abandon you, have told you I'm going to die. 
but I want you to know this. I'm going to offer you peace despite the circumstances you face right now are, are ones of anxiety and hardship and struggle. Now, that's a very interesting thing that Jesus offers them peace at this time because in last week's sermon, we saw him give them reassurance of the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to come in his place to act as their counselor, lead them into truth, and to take his place when he was to leave and go to heaven. Now, that was one promise of reassurance, and now he offers this peace to them as a secondary component to this reassurance. And it was a gift, of, this gift which couldn't have been more appropriately timed knowing their anxiety and distress and worry. So my goal for today is to help us understand the kind of peace that Jesus is offering here to the disciples. Because the same peace offered to them is the same peace that's offered to us. And he makes it very clear here that the world, he's giving a different peace than the world gives to them. When we catch that in verse 27. So the first thing I want you to notice about Jesus' peace that's different than the world is how much of stark contrast it is, is in verse 27. And in verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So before we get into what Jesus is really saying here, I want to play a little song from 1969 to help you get your, into your frame of mind about what, what the world's kind of peace is, okay? And this is uh, thanks to John Lennon. And I let him, uh, I cut his face out of most of the video and just, uh, well, Kevin did it for me. We're going to play why he's singing the song. Just watch the background of what's happening and why he feels the necessity for peace in this world. Oh, and that's not going to work, so let's try that again. Here we go. like that. I thought I'd just do a minute clip proves the point. I love the scene with the guy sitting on the road with the car and he just misses his feet. That's awesome. Well, all over the world, both on a personal level and an international level, uh, people are preoccupied with trying to give peace a chance, right? We're so focused on trying to this, this pursuit of peace and this ability to achieve it. And for the world, the peace is achieved when there's an absence of conflict. For the world, absence of conflict where there's no more worry, no more pressures and stresses of life. Uh, when that's been accomplished, this is proof that peace has been achieved. From a country's perspective or a national's perspective, it would be the absence of war, right? If you're at peace in your country, you're at absence of war and absence of conflict. And I like the way Johnny Mac uh, defines it. He says, uh, the world sees peace as the absence of any external conflict and every inner turmoil resulting in an undisturbed and tranquil state of mind. It's a great definition. And I think he's got it right. 
especially when you compare it to some of the sayings that we have in our society surrounding this idea of the word peace, right? We have this phrase, keep the peace, <coughs> keep the peace, man, right? What does that mean? On a personal level, it means that if you're to keep the peace in a family, that means that everyone needs to get along. Let's get rid of all worries and stresses in our family. We can't have any conflict. On a municipal level, if you want to keep the peace, you have expectation of the law enforcement to have social order in your society. Uh, if you, on an international level, we have the UN peacekeepers, <laughs> the peacekeeping forces to keep the world without conflict. Other people desire peace and quiet. They want peace and quiet. What does that mean? They want refreshment from day-to-day -day struggles and the day-to-day -day grind. A lot of people want to make peace with the past. What they mean is they don't want to allow the pains that they suffered in the, in the past um, now affect their present situations and go on to the future. And a lot of times what they mean is they, they, they feel guilty for things or, they, or maybe they've been victims of things and so they're looking for forgiveness in these things and they want to leave them behind. And after people pursue all these things, they ultimately want to rest in peace. Which is ironic considering the sermon today. So what's interesting then with all this is that how does the world go about achieving peace? If Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace, as, but it's not as the world gives, what is the kind of peace that the world tries to offer and how does it go about it? Well, the key to world peace in both on an international level and a personal level is to change the negative circumstances that you're in. If you can get rid of the circumstances you're in, you can make peace. Here's, here's some ways in which the world does it. All you need is economic stability. You need that. If you just get rid of the financial crisis you're in, you and get more money and get more stability, you will guaranteed to have peace. Why do you think Trump's campaign of Make America Great Again has been so successful? What is he saying? We're in an economic disaster with all the things that are going on in the world. Everyone's trying to get rich off of us and we're losing jobs and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to bring economic stability to America and we're going to bring basically peace to this country in terms of financial position. And the, and the, and the states are like, yeah, let's go for them, right? How about uh, trying to achieve peace through recreation? The way to get peace is actually get more exercise. Your problem is you're just lazy and you need more exercise. And if you do that, you'll get more peace. You need to go mountain climbing and experience the fresh air. You need to get a runner's high. And really important in our culture, you've got to do yoga. Because yoga is the best place to achieve a Zen kind of peace in that studio. Perhaps you need to listen to music as well. Because music is, is really good for you in terms of achieving peace. How about entertainment? All we need to do is just like, watch movies and uh, listen to music and read books and we'll get peace. My favorite, how about escapism? Escapism. Let's just get out of the house. Let's just go on a holiday. Let's just keep doing our deep breathing exercises and we'll achieve peace. How about stimulants? I need to get drunk. I need to smoke weed. I got to do more drugs. I got to get rid of the pain by doing those things. How about social change? It's a great way to bring peace. I got an idea. There's a lot of bullying going on in society. What we need to do is set up a campaign and get people involved in this campaign to stop the bullying. We've got to create social change. And if we do this and rally enough people behind us and get the troops, we will stop bullying. It's guaranteed. How about love? I need to find my true, my true soulmate. I'm so lonely. I have no peace in my life. I need love. 
Because love's going to bring me peace. And the list goes on and on. While these methods can prove to provide temporary relief, I'm not saying they don't work at times, they do provide some relief, you only have to look at the history of the world and our present conditions to know that the world is failing miserably in achieving peace. You watch the news with all the UN peacekeeping troops, all the, all the world's desires for peace, they can't prevent refugee crises, they can't prevent murders, they can't prevent famines, they can't prevent wars. According to historians uh, Will and Ariel Durant, in a book they wrote called Lessons in History, over the last 5,000 years, over 8,000 peace treaties have been broken, and over 14,000 wars have been fought with 4 billion casualties. 4 billion. The world has 7 billion people today. 4 billion casualties. That book was written in 1968. So you imagine how, much how many more millions have died from 68 till now. Personally, marriage is at a all high time, a high all time in divorce, all high time, 50%. Janice has told me an interesting stat. She said 75% of retired NHL hockey players have a divorced marriage. 75% after they retire from hockey have divorces. And like, when we can speculate why, talk about that in discussion. Um, that's why I quit hockey because I didn't want to make the NHL because it was <laughs> too good. I just wanted to have a good marriage. <laughs> Crosby got lucky, I didn't believe him. I think there's a sermon of humility coming up next. So. But think about this now too. Like, so marriage is all, time all high time divorce and kids are increasingly suffering depression. Kids are, are more suicidal than ever. And counselors have become like hairdressers. See, hairdressers are never at risk of losing a job because all of us are always going to have hair. All of us, so they're always going to have employment. So Abilene chose a wise career. But counselors are just like hairdressers. Everyone's got problems. Everyone's at inner turmoil and has no peace in their life. So they're, they're going to continually always have work. If counselors were so effective at their jobs, they'd basically put themselves out of a job. Well, I'm not trying to be cynical, but I'm just speaking reality. And here's the thing. Why can't the world, and on a personal and national level, find a solution? The problem is not emotional, the problem is not psychological, the problem is not circumstantial, the problem is theological. <clears throat> Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. First thing you want to notice about Jesus' peace that contrasts to the world is where the source of peace comes from. If you like to circle things, circle these pronouns. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Uh, my peace I give to you. Jesus makes it clear. Peace is not found in and of themselves as disciples. And it's not found as, as internally within yourself. Peace is an outside source and it's from him. Again, this is a stark contrast to the world. Because again, they see that, that truth is found within themselves. And they have the answers. But Proverbs says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And that's the world's problem. They think the source of truth and the solution to everything is found within themselves. There's no necessary reason for any God to speak into their lives. And the, the proof is evident in, his, in the way our world's functioning. Now I want to suggest that his source of truth comes to us in two ways. The first one is objectively, and the second one is subjectively. 
Well, what do I mean by those terms? Objective peace is this. Objective peace means that it's a peace that comes from being in right standing with God. Objective peace is to be in right relationship and right standing with God. Subjective peace is the peace that comes out of that objective peace. Being in right standing with God gives you an experiential peace that you now live out. Okay? Uh, and it helps you in your day-to-day -day living as you walk through life. Let's talk about the objective peace. As you know, Christianity is totally unique from all other religions in the world. It teaches that human beings by nature are not in right standing with God. Christianity teaches that we're actually ungodly by nature, that we're enemies of God by nature, and we all have sin in our lives that separates us from God. And the reason the Bible makes this clear is that all of us in some way have rebelled against God and His design for life. All of us have sinned against Him in certain categories. None, all of us have told lies at some point. I mean, from the age of two, the age of language till now, all of us in here are guilty of telling a lie. At least or hundreds or thousands. We've all been guilty of gossip. We've all used the Lord's name in vain, likely. We've all probably stolen something, either from our parents or from Revenue Canada. We've all been angry on, uh, in, a, in a sinful way. We've all coveted something else. We've wanted somebody else's money, fame, looks, body, uh, whatever, car, what, you name it. We've all experienced unforgiveness, and we've all been selfish. We've, all, we've, we've never been a, had a life of perfectness where we put other people's needs above our own. And, all of, and many of us in here have, been, have committed lots of acts of sexual morality outside of God's design. Because of this, the Bible teaches that we're not at peace with God. We're not at peace. We're at war with Him. And we stand under His judgment. But the good news, the good news is God is love. And He desires peace with us. That's His number one desire. He doesn't want this war to exist between us. He wants peace. So he created a way for this peace to be achieved. And what he did was he sent Jesus Christ to the earth to die on a cross as a substitute for our sins. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 makes this very clear. He said, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. In Christianity, we call this the gospel message, that Jesus died for our sins, sins that he didn't commit, but paid the penalty for us so that we may have life. It's no wonder in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, Paul says this. He calls the gospel the gospel of peace. He actually says it's the gospel of peace. Why? Because people, those of us who are enemies of God, are now, because of Jesus Christ, um, at, at peace with God. And so, therefore, he can say, you no longer stand under God's judgment. And I love what he says when, uh, when, you, when you read these passages in, in the scriptures that he wrote. These are Paul's letters to the Colossians and Romans. But look at the, the words now he chooses, and hopefully these will stand out to you in a different way than they may have before. But look at Colossians 1.19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, being made, having made peace through the blood of his cross. How was peace made between man and God? Through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. So that we are no longer enemies and we, we're no longer at war with Him. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, look at, the, look, at the, look at these verses again. Look at the means by which peace is achieved. He says, peace is achieved through the blood of, cross, blood of the cross. And look in 5.1, we've been justified by faith. Again, so, but, but faith in what? Faith that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That his blood was spilt on the cross for your sins. That is the gospel message. That's why it's called the gospel of peace. God took the wrath that was supposed to fall on us and placed it on Jesus so that we could have eternal life. And all he asks from us is that we surrender our lives to him in faith and we're willing to walk in his ways from that day forward. But I want you to know that objective peace, I believe, is not all that Jesus is offering here. He's also offering a subjective peace, a peace that we can experience from that relationship with him. And I think understanding the cross, understanding this objective peace, really transforms us in our experiences and how we are to think as Christians and relate within this world. And I want to suggest two significant ways I think that you can experience peace in your life because of knowing that you stand in right relationship with God that the world can't offer. The world can't offer. The first one is this. Unlike the world who lives like this life is all that's worth living for and everything's about here and the now, that means if you live that way, it requires the absence of conflict and negative circumstances in order for you to have peace. So because here and now is all you care about, that means that here and now requires no conflict, no, nothing for you to have peace. But this is not true for those who, who are in relationship with Jesus Christ. Our peace is not defined, our peace is not defined by our circumstances, but relationship. Our, our, our circumstances do not dictate our peace, but our relationship to God. Here's why. We know there's more to this world, and our home is actually heaven. It's eternity. And this helps us in our day-to-day -day struggles. When you go through something here now, and it really sucks, and it really hurts, and it's really painful, you're, you can go in your head and say something like this, you know what, God, at least I stand right with you in relationships. We are not at war. We have peace between you and I. And no matter what happens in this lifetime, they can take my body, they can take my children, they can take my wife, they can take my husband, they can take everything from me. This world's only 70, 80 years, and I get to be in glory with you forever. That the eternal focus is what gets you through hardship in times like this, in times like that. This is exactly what Paul talked about in his own life. Why do you think Paul could just get the crap beat out of him day after day after day and still have the faith and the contentment in life he did? Listen to him and listen to this guy in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9 and 17 to 18. He says, he's speaking about himself and his, his co-workers. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We're perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, which is in this life, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What's he saying? I know life hurts here. I get it. We're get, it's getting crushed and we're getting persecuted and getting struck down. But I don't care. I don't care. I've got something to look forward to far beyond this world. And therefore I can understand and make sense of these circumstances here and now. And I think it's absolutely hilarious that he calls these things momentary light afflictions. 
momentary light afflictions. Do you know what happened in his life? Momentary light afflictions. So if I would ask you, do you have a momentary light affliction? You say, yeah, I got a sliver in my finger this week. Or uh, I, got a, I had a migraine from Monday to Tuesday morning. Listen to what Paul went through, what he calls momentary light afflictions. You can read this in, uh, later on your own in 2 Corinthians. He says, he was beaten without, uh, beaten without number of times. You can't even count how many times he was beaten. He has five times received 39 lashes from the Jews. Listen, if you saw Paul's back and he took his shirt off, it would be scarred. Absolutely scarred. It would look like leather. Don't think he walks around like, like he wouldn't walk around the beach going, like, look at my body. He'd be thinking, what in the world happened to you? You look like a, you got the crap beat out of you. He's like, yeah, I did. I've been whipped 39 times times five. <clears throat> he was stoned once. He was spent many times with no sleep. He was dangerous from robbers, dangerous from the Romans, dangerous from the Jews. And he had the daily concern and the pressures of the church. He had emotional issues. Every night he'd go to bed, he would be like, like crying out to God for the, 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 the churches and how he was grateful for them in many ways, but he was also terribly worried for them in many ways. He'd go to bed stressed over the condition of his churches because they, they were often sinning and doing stupid things. And he, 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 he had this huge emotional concern for them. He called those momentary light afflictions because he knew of the eternal glory that he faced one day. So again, this objective peace that Jesus is offering us helps us in our experiences, right? Because we know this world is nothing compared to what we're going to experience. And that's why I love the sermon the, a few weeks ago on heaven. Not because I preached it, but because the, the things that heaven has to offer are just so far beyond what this world has to offer. Second thing I think it helps when you have objective peace in terms of how you experience it, I think it helps in this way. It helps you work through the circumstances and sufferings you're in because you see the people who are hurting you with a different lens. You see them with a different lens. Let me explain this a little bit more. Often when you're a non-Christian, you're experiencing conflict, you're like, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? If they just knew better, they would treat me this way. And you have all these demands for justice and all these kind of crazy revenge things in your head and you want justice now. You want it now. And you feel it's deserved because... How dare they treat you like that? Here's the thing. When you're a non-Christian, when you're a Christian, when you're a Christian, we have this, we don't have, you can look at people and say, I know why they're doing that. They don't have the peace of God. Listen, the world can't solve the peace situations. Um, can't create peace. On a personal level, they can't create peace. So why in the world would you expect them to, to be peaceful in, their, in the way they relate to you? If you look at people through a different lens, knowing they don't, they're not rightly related to God, it helps you have patience and understanding towards why they're treating you that way. And I think as a believer, sometimes we're guilty of expecting certain behaviors from non-Christian people. Listen, whenever I get mistreated, persecuted, called a name, uh, people show unforgiveness, I think, well, of course, what else would I expect? But sometimes as Christians who live in Disneyland thinking, well, they should treat me better because I'm a Christian. No, they shouldn't. The world hates you because you're a Christian. Paul says that. Jesus says, if you belong to me, I promise you persecution. So again, um, <laughs> we have to, again, like the reason why we can have experiential peace in the midst of personal conflict within the family, within work, within any situation, is because we understand that they are not rightly related to God, so no wonder life with them is really tri trying. So again, I think those are the two ways in which... Um, 
this objective peace helps us have peace in our experiential moments as we walk through life. <clears throat> One last thing, though, on this idea of uh, peace and this experiential peace. There's something else going on that gives us this peace outside of just knowing that we're objectively related to Christ. And that is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The world differs from us in that. We have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The world does not. And that gives us an experiential peace that we can, we can, we can um, uh, hold on to and experience. Isn't it interesting that in verse 26, Jesus says, The Helper is coming, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring into remembrance all that I said to you. Right after he promises the gift of the Holy Spirit, he then says to them, By the way, you can have peace. Because it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can have peace and experience his peace. Look at Romans 14, 7. This is Paul again writing. He says this, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in, in the Holy Spirit. There's joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. When you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in life, there can be peace found in Him through in that, in that relationship. Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. There's a link between peace and the presence of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Hence why, again, you need a right standing with God. Because at the right, when you receive Christ in your life, you get the Holy Spirit as a supernatural gift. We looked at that uh, in last, time, uh, last week's sermon. So how does this work? How does this work? How does, how does peace happen when you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, remember, the Holy Spirit's role in, in, is to, in the moments where you want to sin and you want to not go God's way, the Holy Spirit's role is, verse 26, to bring to remembrance all the things that Jesus has taught you. So the Holy Spirit says, by the way, Andrew, I know you want to be retaliatory and enter into conflict right now. I've got a better way. It's called peace. I want you to be gentle, to be kind, and not to go reactive in all the circumstances be at peace with all men like go that way be like me and so I stand at the crossroads and I have an option there I can either enter into conflict or I can go into peace I, I have those as my two options it's, those are my two options so the Holy Spirit will give me the words of Jesus and the words of scripture and give me an alternative way in, in, in acting in those moments of acting but what's really interesting about that then is this kind of peace then is put on us. Notice that? It's not, a, it's not like this, uh, you don't sit there like this, Jesus, I want peace, come on, give it to me, give it to me. You're like, going like this, waiting for an injection where it supernaturally zaps you. And you're like, oh man, I can't, but, wow, I went from anxiousness to total tranquility. Thank you, God. No, he says, this is under your control. You want peace in your life? It's up, I give it to you objectively, but subjectively you can experience it, but you have to go my way. You have to obey my spirit and, and go my way with peace. It's interesting in Colossians 3.15. Um, oh, I don't have it in there. That's okay. Colossians 3.15 says this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Well, the same word for... The word rule means the same word as an umpire. So an umpire in baseball uh, calls the game. 
tells, he makes the calls in the game. And so when he says, make, let a peace of Christ rule in your hearts, he's saying this, let the peace of Christ do the same work as an umpire. He needs to act as a referee in your life and making decisions. In Philippians 4, 6, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard there is a military term meaning to keep watch over. So the Holy Spirit, you want to, you know, you're in the middle of conflict and you want to retaliate and stuff. The Spirit comes to you and says, um, I'm going to act as an umpire in your life. And I'm going to act as a military guard in your life. I'm going to watch over you. I've got another way for you to go here. What are you going to do? So peace with Christ, this experience of peace is very much up to us. It's a leading of the Spirit, but a lot, we have to obey and be sensitive to the Spirit's work in our life to go that way. And if we do, we can be promised peace. And there is great peace in that, because if you go God's way, and, you, and here's the thing, if you go God's way, and you're still in the midst of conflict, you, at least your conscience is clear. Because at least you're like, at least in the middle of conflict, you know what? I've done everything you've asked of me, Lord, and it still sucks. But at least I know in terms of this life, I've been fully obedient to the things that you've called me to. So now I can't do any more than that. However, as a believer, if we reject the leading of the Holy Spirit and go into conflict and go into fight mode and go into want justice and all these things, and then we reap the fruits of that and we end up in worse conflict, we can't turn around and say to God, well, you know, uh, I've done everything you've asked me to do. He says, no, you're eating the fruit of your own way now. <laughs> so consciously, it's nice to be able to go to God in prayer and, and, and sleep at night going, as much as it's been under my power to control these situations, I've obeyed your word. And so therefore, there's peace in that. In other words, it's all in them now. If they want to choose to treat me this way, it's all in them. But at least I've done everything in my power, God, from the things you've told me to do to make peace of this situation. It is interesting in verse 27 that uh, um, Jesus actually makes this clear that it's a choice even for the disciples to have peace. Did you see that? He says, do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. He's not saying, peace, bang, how do you feel now, boys? Really good. He says, no, no, no. I'm offering you peace. I'm giving you peace, objective, subjective peace. But you have to not let your heart be troubled. You have to not worry. Hence why he said, you've heard it said, I go away. But if you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. In other words, if you know my, knew the full plan of why I came and where I'm going, you'd be able to have peace in this because you'd understand my purposes as the Messiah. So that's another topic. So the question I would have before we head into lessons then is, in terms of the experiential peace, is where are we at? Are we at peace in life? Are we at peace in life in our finances? The way God would desire? Are we experientially at peace with, in our relationships? Again, this is not absence of negative circumstances. This is absence of the way you react and those, uh, the way you handle your life and how, you, and how you respond to the Holy Spirit in those circumstances. Are we at peace in the finances, in relationships, in work, in our health, in our parenting? God clearly tells us that we have a choice in, in this matter. So I'm going to leave you with three lessons, and uh, it's kind of like a, I feel like a broken record, but 
repetition is the key to learning. Um, I want to describe these to you. Um, and I'll, I, I wrote it this way. We're going to contrast the peace that Jesus offers and how it differs from the world. Okay? So there's three lessons. The, the peace that Jesus offers differs from the world in that, one, peace is not possible until a person is rightly related to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Peace is, is only possible when one is rightly related to God through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, that's why the world can't find peace and never will find peace on a personal level, on an international level. It requires, they think that truth is found inside of themselves and they have the solutions to peace and you can see where that has led. Unless someone is rightly related to God, there can never be peace. Never be peace. Because out of that, right, being rightly related changes your experiences of how you relate to one another. I've, I've shared this story with you before, but I'll share it again because some of you might be new and some of you may not remember. And I wish I, this came to me just this morning so I didn't look up the details like I did before. But uh, Rabbi Zacharias got invited to the most dangerous prison in the United States. And I think the prison was in uh, New Orleans. And he got, he got invited there. And uh, for years, it was the most dangerous prison in the USA. So much so that when inmates got checked in, they were all given a little dagger as part of their check-in to protect themselves. And when uh, they would walk the halls, there was blood on the floors and blood on the hallways. And it was, again, it was the most dangerous place in the pr prison. Uh, uh, again, so, and how did they try to keep peace in that prison? With weapons. Here's a knife. Protect yourself. The guards would have probably stun guns and handcuffs and cell doors and keys and things. They want to keep peace through these external, these external means. And, and, and then every person would have this internal code of how to apply these in these different situations. So what happens? A new warden comes in. A new warden comes in a few years ago and is a Christian. And he puts a Bible in every single cell of every prison uh, mate in that cell. And he starts teaching people the Word of God. It is now the safest prison in the USA, years later. So much so that um, they don't even, uh, they no longer have um, virtually any like issues in the prison anymore. And people, in the, they hold worship services in the prison uh, on a weekly basis. And many of the men in there are studying to become pastors. And the irony of this is they're not going to get out. Some of them are in life without parole. And they're still taking their education and studying to become ministry. Because when new inmates come in, they got a ministry. <coughs> It's the safest prison in the USA and the most dangerous. Now here's the question. How did peace happen in that jail? How did peace come? From a, a little, like this creates peace, but not a knife and not a gun and not muscles on a, on a guard? Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. His object of peace, his, his giving these men a right standing with God, changed their relational, ex their experiential peace and how they lived out their lives in the prison cells in order to treat others with the way Jesus wanted them to be, uh, treat, uh, treat others the way Jesus would have expected. They were obeying the Holy Spirit. These guys, man, their past would have been absolutely horrendous. I mean, they would have been physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, I mean, all these things. And here they are without life without hope and many of them with life without parole. And, and just by receiving Jesus Christ and having truth come from an external source, they're completely transformed and the guards are safe to work in those places now. 
that is absolutely unbelievable. So my question to you here today is, do you have that objective peace in your life that Jesus is offering? Have you fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ so that you are now in right standing with God? Or is this that the first time in your life you've realized you've actually been at war with Him and there is no peace between you and Him? But again, the gospel message like we read earlier, that God is love. His arms are open wide. And He says, I want to make peace with you, but you have to come through Jesus to get it. You have to surrender your life to Him and go His way. Dan and I have been talking and... Um, He's uh, experienced this in his own life. He, he said, you know, Andrew, I'm surprised at how many people I've run into in my life that go to church on a regular basis and have been going for years that I've run into that actually aren't Christians that think they are. He says, I've, got, you know, I've, I've seen and met people that, you know, 10, 20 years in a church and they're still not Christians. But if you ask them, what do you believe? They'd say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Christianity. And he says, the piece that virtually every single person is missing is that they've failed to confess their sin. Right? We have this idea. If you ask Jesus into your heart, he'll forgive you. Give me a passage. Where does Jesus ever say that? He doesn't say that. He says, if you confess your sin, you're made right with me. And if you, re if you repent, in other words, you live life my way from this day forward, you're right with me. And if Dan's, if Dan's experiencing this in his own, in terms of people he's meeting, I just say to you in a, in a loving way, if you're here today and you haven't done that and, you, and you've been just banking on like, the, the enjoyment of the Christian community, you're still at war with God. <laughs> you're still at war with God and I would plead with you to come clean with Him for the sins that you've committed against Him because He died on the cross for you and He died on the cross for me. Don't mess around with today's message. The second lesson is this though. Um, the peace of Jesus differs from the world in that Peace is not determined by one's circumstances, but through their relationship with God. Okay? Peace is not determined by circumstances. It's relationship-orientated. Again, peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It doesn't mean the absence of worry. It doesn't mean the absence of trouble. It doesn't mean the absence of fighting. It is still, you can still have peace, because Paul had it in 2 Corinthians. I've been inflicted, beaten, and I mean, my life just is a walking mess in terms of the external perspective from people looking in at my life. But man, I'm at peace with God. I'm great because I'm going to heaven and I know it. And I'm cool with that. Again, our peace doesn't have to be circumstantially driven, it can be relationally driven. And the last lesson is this peace is only possible through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Peace is only possible possible, this, I'd probably say experiential peace is only possible through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, again, why does Jesus' peace make, uh, uh, contrast uh, the world? The world has no counselor, like verse 26. The world has no one to lead them into truth. Then the world has no one to give them the teachings of God. It has no one to convict them when they sin. Not, none of it. So why in the world would they think they're going to preach or achieve it? That's why John Lennon's song is so funny. And, he, and, he, and they want to put videos like this of all the atrocities. He's like, please stop this. The irony was the next video after John Lennon, after the Give Peace a Chance, the next video was called God. 
and I've never heard of that before. Maybe you guys know who know John Lennon's songs. I thought I'll listen to this, and his whole message and the thing was there is no God. And he says, he says, I and he has a one liner was, I believe in me and Yoko Ono. He even quotes Jesus. I don't believe in Buddha. I don't believe in the Dalai Lama. I don't believe in Jesus. I believe in me and Yoko Ono. And it's interesting that he got shot, I think, the very next day after he publicly declared that he, that he was uh, against God. John Lennon tried to create social change to create peace and write music to create social change, and he ended up getting shot. So how's that for peace? But again, this peace, uh, Jesus says, not, like, not as clear in verse 27, but through the other scriptures, it's clear that it's us are clear that we have a, 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 play, a part to play in appropriating that peace in our lives. Right? We have a part to play. Philippians says, Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and petition, make your requests be known to God. And then he says, um, So that the peace of the Lord will, will basically uh, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It comes through a, a prayer life. It's prayer, a prayer filled with thanksgiving. It's a, it comes through a life when you hear the Spirit saying, go my way in the midst of conflict, that you go His way. And when, and when you have that, uh, when you have the presence of the Holy Spirit, that can be made possible. I know I skipped out on 28 through 31. Um, I felt today's message was too important to, uh, to walk away from just trying to jam it all in, so I chose to focus on two verses. Um, you can ask questions if you like, 28 through 31, but again, um, the things in there, in those remaining verses are not, are things that we've covered at one point through the book of John, and they're not as I feel as important for us here right now as this message. Um, so, and I realize too, you probably have a lot of questions, and uh, maybe want to uh, bring some more verses to mind or things you want to share. So let's have a time of discussion, and I'm looking forward to what you have to say. <laughs>